0: Welcome to People's Church radio program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780 539 0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com. It is uh, Remembrance Day this week, and uh, we want to note that this morning. And uh, it's a time when we honor uh, those that died for the freedoms that you and I get to live every day. And uh, so we want to take just a moment to reflect on the freedoms that you have at the dear cost of war. And we're going to be tying that directly into what we're going to talk about today, where we're going to rethink our health, and the first subject is mental health. Let's just take a moment though. Just take a moment to reflect on the freedoms that you're going to express every day this week. You're going to express freedoms of worship which you're doing this morning. You are going to express freedoms to go and earn for your family in the way that you so choose or prepare yourself to do. You're going to enjoy the freedom of movement without question. I know there's been challenges to those in these times. These basic freedoms are there. You're going to be enjoying freedom this week to associate with whom you wish. You're gonna choose your education model, what you watch, what you do. These are incredible freedoms and the list continues. They are not the norm in human history. They're unique. And you were born in this time, in this place. But they are sustained by a fight. Probably one of the most deepest torments that people are going through today is mental. So much around us has been changing and is unstable in so many different ways. And a lot of basic things are uh, under some form of redefinition. We are being challenged in every way when it comes to beliefs and how to think about subjects that we never thought might be challenged. Mentally, there's been a lot of pressure on people, not just through COVID, let's not kid ourselves. This has been building for some time. And the mental health, and we want to take that and take that as that term should be directed. Mental health is a normal, everyday challenge. For everybody. This is something where our minds and our thinking are core to how we practice and live life and what we become. The Bible makes this explicitly clear when we're going to be looking at a lot of these things today when we talk about mental health. I'm going to be taking The scripture, you guys, that I had first and putting it at last today. So I'm going to start in 2 Corinthians 10.3. I've entitled this particular one, Being a Captive or Taking Captive. Here's a scripture that Paul wrote about thinking and about how we go about protecting, building, living in good thinking, having good mental health. He said this. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And we will be ready to punish any actor of disobedience once your obedience is complete. The one phrase that I want to focus on is the phrase, we take captive every thought. There's too much in here. This this is an inexhaustible subject. We could literally spend months teaching this subject on any one of the four areas of health we're going to look at. Whether it be mental health this week, emotional health next week, relationship health the following week, or financial health, each of these we can only go at some of the main core truths, and we'll flesh it out on Wednesday night and dive a little bit deeper and have some obviously long, some good times of discussion on that night. Right now there is a violent battle, the Bible tells us, right in the scriptures we just read, going on in your life and around your life 24 hours a day. It doesn't take a rest at night. In 1965, Donald Gray Barnhouse wrote a book called, it's called The Invisible War. It is the battle for your mind. It is a vicious battle. It is intense, it is unrelenting, and it is unfair because Satan never plays fair. This is an extremely deep, challenging battle that is continuous. The reason why it is so intense is because your greatest asset is your mind. The Bible identifies it as so. The mind is the source of your thinking. Your thinking is absolutely, incredibly core to every action, every inaction, every plan, every strategy, every change, or every way in which you stay the same. Your mind. The face of mental health has often been depicted as requiring drugs, There are those that actually have a physical part of the brain in its chemistry that needs that kind of thing. But most of the time, we don't recognize mental health as something far more of a war and a battle that every human being fights for. You're fighting for right thinking. Right thinking could be interpreted righteous thinking. Let me read that scripture again for you. And let me read it this way. Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. In other words, we don't fight with armor. We don't fight with politics. We don't fight with money. We don't fight with all the humanistic ways. It says the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments in every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. The Bible says that our job in this battle is to demolish strongholds. You know what a stronghold is? It's a mental block. It's a thinking block. It is a mental battle here. It's talking about pretensions and arguments set itself up against the knowledge of God. This is a battle of the mind. It is a mental battle. It says we tear down, we demolish these strongholds. Now strongholds can be one of two things. It can be a worldview uh, such as materialism, hedonism, Darwinism, secularism, relativism, communism, atheism, all kinds of different isms are mental strongholds that people will set up against the knowledge of God the stronghold can also be attitude or personal attitudes it can be worry worry can be a stronghold seeking the approval of other people can be a stronghold anything you idolize that you make an idol in your life can be a stronghold fear can be a stronghold guilt, resentments insecurity all of these things can be strongholds in your mind right here your greatest asset. And the Bible says that we are to tear them down. It says, we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Taking captive every thought. That means to control every thought. To conquer every thought. means to bring it into submission we take it a captive we make it submit to Christ the question i want to look at today is how do you do that how do you accomplish that have you ever noticed that your mind doesn't always mind have you noticed that it doesn't always mind you does it you Speak to your mind and it always doesn't do what you want it to do or think the way that you want it to think. It's often actually very rebellious. You know that. It wants to go in a different direction than you wish to go. It wants to think about that exchange that you just had this way. And you want to capture that and not go down that route. You want to do it different. So how do we do this? How do we capture our minds? How do we capture our thinking and then submit it to Christ? Well, let's start with five principles. I'm going to give them to you relatively rapidly. Number one, don't believe everything you think. That sounds strange, doesn't it? Don't believe everything you think. Now, just for a minute, think about that. Imagine if you believed everything you think. Have you ever got it wrong in an exchange with somebody? You thought they meant this, but it wasn't anything like that. Don't believe everything you think. I just saw wives punching husbands. You see, we naturally feel that if we think something, it's got to be true because it comes from within us. There are many different suggestions that come into mind all the time. You're going to have suggestions come just from the world, and they're false suggestions. Do your own thing. The problem becomes that we think if it comes from within, it's somehow sanctified. Satan makes suggestions all the time. But actually the deepest problem is not, uh, is not the world. It's not uh, Satan. Your problem is a whole lot deeper than that. The problem of your members, your depth, who you are. You are your greatest enemy in thinking accurately. Satan's second on that one. You're first. The Bible uses at least a dozen different phrases for our minds. It says our minds are confused. Deuteronomy 28, anxious, closed. Job 17. They're evil, restless, Ecclesiastes 2. They're rash, they're deluded. The Bible talks about the troubled mind, the depraved mind, the sinful mind, the dull mind, the blinded mind, the corrupt mind. He's saying this is what your mind is within you in your natural state. Here's the natural state that your mind will function out of is these things. The Bible says that our minds are broken by sin. What does that mean? Well, it means that's why we can't trust it. What we even think ourselves, we can't trust it. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. And desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? What does that verse mean? It just means we have an amazing ability to lie to ourselves. Well, you do it all the time. Oh, by the way, so do I. Uh, we tell ourselves that things aren't as bad as they really are. We tell our thing, ourselves that things are better than they really are. We tell ourselves that we're doing okay when we're not doing okay. We're telling ourselves it's no big deal when it is a big deal. In fact, the Bible tells us that you cannot... Be trusted to tell yourself the truth. That's why you need the question uh, not to believe everything you think. You need to question it. Just because you get a thought doesn't mean it's correct. The Bible says Satan is the father of lies. If he can get you to believe a lie, he can get you to sin. And anytime you sin, you're thinking that you know better than God. God has said this, but what about this? You have to question what you think. Your thinking will always challenge God because God's thinking is going to lead you a different path than your mind actually wants to go. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If you deny yourself that that is a condition of your own heart, You're just deceiving yourself. You have to question your own thinking. Don't believe everything you think. You know this generation growing up, one of the big values that they are bringing forward is authenticity, authentic authenticity. I'd like to say first that when was inauthenticity ever in style? Yes. uh, the goal of our generation is not to be authentic. It's always been attractive to be authentic. That might be news for some in this younger generation. In fact, a lot of guys who are probably promoting their authenticity don't, don't realize actually what it is. When people stand up and say, I am very, very authentic. I say what I mean, I mean what I say, I'm this, I'm that, I'm that. I'm very authentic. You know what really is authentic? You're really authentic when you start by admitting that you're inauthentic much of the time. That's when you know I am being authentic because I'm admitting I am inauthentic often. My motives aren't that pure or clean or deep. My actions aren't that in touch with what is right. Here's some reasons, let me give them to you, why you you can't believe what you tell yourself all the time. You have blind spots. You know what I mean by that? There are things about you others see, by the way, that you don't see. They're aware of some things about you that you aren't aware of. You also make snap judgments. You don't put it through uh, really the kind of, of critical thing that's necessary. You have a background bias in your life. That's why you have files on different types of people. We also jump to conclusions. We don't get enough info and we jump to a conclusion. We also, we only see what we want to see. Just a little bit of biology for you. The optic nerve is the one nerve, the only nerve, that goes directly to your brain. that when you're looking at something, studies have shown that there are actually more impulses coming from your brain forward than from your eye backwards when you are seeing. What does that mean? It means your brain is telling you what you see. It's already preconditioned you. That's why you can put four people at an accident scene and each of them will see something different. You have more signals coming from your brain to your eyes and going back from your eye to your brain and it's already been defined and with preconditioning you already are concluding what you're seeing. Second thing that we need to do is not just don't believe everything you think but guard your mind from trash. This is a more obvious one that you would have expected on a subject like this. This is the kind of thing that you recognize that your mind is an incredibly, can we say, powerful tool. But what you put into it is going to own that tool. It's going to use that tool for its own ends. So the mind then becomes captive to the wrong things. To your mind and thinking, will be captive to something. Or you will capture your thinking, like Paul is talking about. And in that capturing process, you will submit it to Christ. Proverbs fifteen fourteen says, a wise person is hungry for truth while the fool feeds on trash. I don't know about you, but I take trash out, out of the house, away from the house. Have you ever collected trash too long? It's the funny thing about trash. See, we we use a bin where we're at. So we phone in to get it picked up when we got it full. And this summer was an extremely hot summer, as you know. And so what was in that bin began a natural chemistry process. Do you know what I'm talking about? I would go in there and spray stuff and do this, but I finally, and this goes against my grain, before it was full. You know what I'm talking about here, right? I want value. There's another four bags going that sucker. (laughs) I phoned to come pick it up and they said, here's what they said. It's gonna be a week. They said, everybody's phoning. (laughs) So some of you ruined my. You wanna know the worst thing about this thing? We have it on the west side and where does the prevailing winds come from in Grand Prairie? (laughs) For a week, I'm smelling my trash. This is not a great way to live. In your mind, if it's filled with stuff like that, that stuff has its natural process. And it's going to bring you some uh, unbelievable smelly things into your life. Philippians 4, 6 through 8, listen to it. And it gives us two ways to guard your mind. Here's two ways to guard your mind. It says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then, you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Do you know how you get peace that passes understanding? When you give up trying to understand why God does what he does and you just trust him. With every ache and pain and every place in your life where the big gaps can't be filled by your logic or understanding and you can't fill in all of the blanks on the answer sheet where the questions remain with all kinds of blanks to yet be filled in, when you are in that kind of a situation, where are you going to get peace from? Because I don't have all of the answers. No, you do not. And the moment that you recognize that, accept that, and when you give up trying to understand why God does what he does. Give up trying to figure out why God does what he does. And peace will come. Because then the person can show up in your life. Then the spirit Can make the presence of Jesus very evident and strong in your life. Your peace lacks because you need the blanks filled. No, you don't. You won't get peace that way. The second way that we do this, he says, then finishes off the scripture fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right, and pure, and lovely, and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Man, that whole couple sentences is absolutely focused on the word thoughts and think about these things, and he's telling us this is what you do. So in behind what he's saying is the premise that you can focus. You can choose your focus. You think the way you want. If you're going through a rough time with somebody or somebody has slighted you, you can think about that the wrong way. Your mind will always go there first. But this tells us that you have the ability instead to fix or focus your, your thoughts on something that rather that would be true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable, excellent, and worthy of praise. What you focus on is absolutely critical. Then he says, fix your thoughts on these things. So how do you do that? Here's one of the keys to overcoming temptation and getting out of bad ruts of thinking is this one thing. One of the keys to overcoming temptation. Don't resist it, replace it. Don't resist it, replace it. When you resist something, you actually are focusing on it. When you say, I'm not going to think this way, I'm not going to think this way, I'm not going to, what are you doing? You know, every time you hit The nail, it goes deeper. Focusing on what you don't want to do in a resistance model is a losing proposition. You replace it. Whatever gets your focus, it gets you. It gets you you know this that the focus is the lens that opens up the next actions third principle never let up on learning never let up on learning lifetime learning lifetime learning the word disciple itself means learner in fact, you cannot be a disciple of Christ without being a learner. In Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. I will give you rest. That is one of our felt needs, by the way. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Let me teach you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. More or less, he's saying, there's a lot of learning as my disciple I want you to go through in life and it's going to be lifetime. But if you keep coming to me and you keep learning then what's going to happen is that your rest is going to be more complete because we get to yoke up. We get in the same yoke. We are two pulling in the same direction and I am with you in that yoke because you are actually letting me teach you and you are committed to being a learner. God's rest follows your obedience To be in the yoke. You're climbing out of some issues in your life. Financial, relational. You're climbing out of those health, You want to have God's greatest rest, then you enter into obedience to being a learner. Now, what is the one word in here that is the most difficult word for us to practice? And I'll just reread that one part for you. And so uh, when he says this, he says, come to me. What do you do with the burdens that certainly weigh you down day after day or week after week? Where do you go? Where do you, maybe I should put it this way, where do you hide? Where do you run to? He says, you come to me. The key commodity in being a great student, in being a great learner as a disciple, there's really just one key commodity. It's not how you score on an intelligence quiz. It's not that your life is all perfect. No, no. Here, if you want to be a great learner, here's the one commodity you bring. You want to be a great disciple, this is the one commodity you bring. You humble yourself. Teach me. By saying teach me, you're saying, I don't know it. I want to be a great learner. That means it's going to require humbleness on my part. It says in, in the scriptures that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Well, why is that so? For one simple reason. You see, you're setting the equation. You're, you're, he, he just says, this is the way it works, either buy in or not. The humble are teachable. So God's going to resist the proud because they can receive nothing from him. But he will, for those that are humble and acknowledge they are learners, they will be taught. They will be given grace. They will achieve rest. They will have strength. Be a lifetime learner. Humbleness is the key. Let me give you something under learning that we may dive a little deeper in on the Wednesday night. There are basically five levels of learning. Let's say you buy in. You say, yeah, I humble myself. I need to learn I, I need to learn how to be a great dad husband, wife, mother uh, I need to be a, a better boss I, I need to be a better friend uh, I, need, I need to upgrade obviously when it comes to my stewardship before God of my, my time my energy and how I serve him and all of that and money and etc there are five then levels of learning you must go through and that's why it's a lifetime learning that's why it's for your life. The first two just have to do with knowing, getting the knowledge. The second two have to do with being, the actual adjustment that takes place. And then the last one has to do with the doing. And the first is just simply the knowledge level. Knowledge. Hosea 4.6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Jesus spoke to the Pharisees one time and he said, your problem is you don't know scripture or know the power of God. Now, you've got to understand how earth-shaking that statement was. He's talking to the most learned religious men of the day. And he's saying to them, and these guys memorized the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. They would memorize this word for word. And he says to them, your problem is you don't know scripture or know the power of God. What he's talking about, he's saying, look, you're being destroyed for lack of knowledge. They had some form of knowing, but it wasn't a knowledge based on humility or humbleness. The next level of learning is perspective. The Bible calls perspective wisdom. Wisdom is seeing life from God's viewpoint. I don't know about you, but I always have to fight for that viewpoint. It never comes to me very naturally. I got to work for it. I I, got to grab my head, grab my thoughts... I got to use that same humbleness, and that I'm not going to trust my own thinking on this. But I'm going to look for God's wisdom on this. I don't want to just have the knowledge; I need the wisdom. Now, the wisdom is simply seeing life from God's viewpoint. In Isaiah 55, it it says, "God says, I don't think the way you think." Surprise. Okay, take your situation. The hottest. The hottest. Uh, place on your stove of life right now. Just just grab it. Where is it? God is saying to you, you know about that? I'm not thinking about that the way you're thinking. What's the hottest element on the stove? You say, I'm not thinking about it the way you're thinking. I'm thinking different about that. Wisdom is able to dive into the layers and get get the perspective that God brings, God's viewpoint. And we recognize he doesn't think the way that we think. And then he said, the way you work isn't the way I work. Do you know why you fight control with God all of the time? Who's going to, you know, are you going to surrender this up? Yeah, it comes down to humbleness and all that, but it really, what do you want to hang on to? Why do we want the control so much? It's because we want to control the work side because we can be in control of the pace then or the depth of change or what we need to do and we can scale it. The wisdom of God puts you in touch with God. God. It says in the Old Testament about the children of Israel and Moses, the leader. It says that that, that when it came to the children of Israel, they saw the acts of God. They knew the acts of God. This is Psalm 103. It says there, I don't think, he he says, he made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. He's saying, "I, I, I have a different learning relationship with the nation of Israel and with Moses. And he's saying, the nation of Israel, here's my learning relationship. They know my acts. They saw the plagues. They saw what I did to Pharaoh. They saw how I humbled that kingdom. They saw the Red Sea parted. They saw the manna from heaven. They see it every day except for the Sabbath, they see the manna that was the, the quail that was brought in. they've seen God do water out of a rock. They have seen the acts of God. They had a cloud uh, by day and a cloud of fire by night. They knew the acts of God. But he says, "Moses knew my ways. That's the difference between knowledge and wisdom." The third is conviction. You get knowledge of the word and then you get perspective on why God does what he does and what is God's perspective on temptation? What is God's perspective on evil? What is God's perspective on my past, my present, my future? What is God's perspective on sin? What is God's perspective on Satan? Once you start getting perspective, you start developing what we call convictions. What is a conviction? It's not an opinion. An opinion is what I'll argue with you about. That's an opinion. Let's have an argument. A conviction is something I have no backup on. I don't have a step back I can take, it's a conviction. It has become in my life, obviously by the knowledge and the wisdom of God, this is how my life is going to function in this area of life. This is what it's going to look like in my money, my time, my energy. Here's what it's going to look like. Uh, It's going to look like this in my roles of life. It's going to look like this in how I steward everything about my life. I don't have a step-back point to say, okay, let's negotiate on this. When you negotiate the things that God says are non-negotiable. You are not a person of conviction and your learning and your discipling is off. Jesus brought his disciples into an understanding of this through over three years of constant teaching and acts and still they had to enter in to that idea of perspective and then conviction and they even blew it in conviction when it was at the crucifixion they didn't have the conviction to stick it through with Jesus later they did Jesus had the deepest convictions of all If you want to know how much Jesus loves you, look at the cross. Look at him becoming flesh, God coming to us. The Bible talks about being settled in your own mind. That means you've got godly convictions. In 1 Corinthians 7, it talks about that. Be settled in your own mind. That means you've got godly convictions. It's settled. I have no backup point. I don't negotiate on my convictions. These are the things I actually would die for My love is not just words I would die for what I love Job said this and you know Job's story he's famous for the amazing trial that God allowed in his life, that took everything from him that could be taken from a human being, left him in dust and ashes with no support, and in fact, even turned the relationships around him in an attack mode towards his position. And here's what he says. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Do you know what he's saying? I don't have to understand it. I'm going to trust God no matter what. In conviction, you want to get that heart of God. You see, I don't want to just see what God sees. I want to feel what God feels about the world, about the lost, about his word, about his church, about my family, about all of the things that are within my life that he has given. The fourth is character. Character is just the sum total of, of our habits. Whatever your habits, that's your character. Character is never words; it's your habits. You can't say you have the character of honesty unless you are habitually honest. You can't say you have the character of integrity or kindness unless you are habitually kind. It means you're kind all the time. If I were, you know, uh, to say, you know, oh, let's see. Uh, to my wife honey this month I'm going to be faithful to you 29 of the 30 days (laughs) do you spot a problem what's missing the habit you can't say you have these things unless you actually have them in this kind of practice. How do you develop character then? By developing the habits of love and joy. You you guys know the nine fruits of the spirit found in the book of Galatians? In the book of Galatians is the nine fruits of the spirit. He says this way, and this is out of the message. I just liked it so much. It is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Just before this, he's talking about the self-centered life. And he says to us, it is obvious what kind of life develops out of trying to get your own way all the time. Repetitive, loveless, cheap sex. A stinking accumulation of mental and emotional garbage. We already illustrated that one. Fringied and joyless grabs for Happiness. Trinket gods, magic show religion, paranoid loneliness, cutthroat competition, all-consuming yet never satisfied wants, a brutal temper and and impotence to love or be loved, divided homes and divided lives, small-minded and lopsided pursuits, the vicious habit of depersonalizing everyone into a rival, uncontrolled and uncontrollable addictions, ugly parodies of community. I could go on. I don't know about you, but I'm glad he didn't. That was enough to get me the point. And then he goes to this. Well, let me finish that one part. This isn't the first time I have warned you, you know, if you use your freedom this way, you will not inherit God's kingdom. Then he goes, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These nine things reveal the character of Jesus Christ. And he's talking about what they look like in their maturity, in their completeness. And he's saying the only way that that ever happens is when your habits are not rooted out of the self-centered. And that's why we've covered what we've covered so far. So for your thinking to actually be entrenched and practice these things... You have to understand that is through the habits that you set. You love as deeply and as much as your habits. I could take all nine. Same thing. Character. So all of us as Christians, when Christ has come into our life, you're just beginning learning. And you need to actually focus then on those things becoming convictions. Once they're convictions, you're moving into character where you are working your habits and saying, you know what? My habits, there are some that need to go and there's some that are, they need to be reinforced. And there's some new ones that I need to pick up. And I can't do it all at once, but I'm going to start here and work on this or drop this, but I'm not going to... work the resistance model I I can't work that I have to work the replacement model so what's the good habit that's opposite the bad habit now you work the good habit and by doing that and turning it into something that is strong in your life you are now developing Christ's character and that shows up in your roles, it shows up in the way you practice, and then behind all of those things as your thinking is actually really changing. Quite amazing. Lastly, it's skills. Skill is when you get good at it because you do it over and over and over and over. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 10.10, 10, if an axe is blunt and the edge isn't sharpened, then one has to use more strength, but wisdom prepares the way for success. Basically, it's, a, it's the same thing you probably heard before, which is simply, you're not wasting time when you sharpen the axe. Skills. Get it done. By the way, notice that. It wasn't prayer that got it, it was skills will bring you success. Skills. So what are the skills? What are the things that you need to sharpen up and then get into the application of your life? Skills are the actual doing process out of the disciple. By the way, you know you only believe the part of the Bible you actually do. If you want to know what you really believe out of the Bible, just look at what you do. I could list some things. Witnessing, tithing, devotions. See, our problem is that we know more than we have sharpened. And God wants us to sharpen these things. And finally, today we go to, you got you to gotta let God stretch your imagination. You see, everything that happens that's ever going to be of anything good begins with a dream. By the way, anything that happens that's bad begins with a dream. Everything begins. I was talking to a fine artist recently. And um, as, we, as we walked through his studio, I was, I, I was just full of questions. I could see the beauty of the art, obvious. That's, those things are obvious. But I asked him a question about, like, is it like this for you? Like, you don't just sit down and paint. Like, but my guess is that when you sit down to paint, that actually is not that slow of a process. That all of it is on the front end in that little creation circle inside here somewhere where the picture is forming, where it might take months for that picture to form before it ever starts to be placed on anything here. And he said, that's exactly it. All of the work is going to be accomplished with the development of that clarity in here. You want a better marriage? Guess where it starts? In your imagination. You say, yeah, that's where my wife wants to keep it. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Kidding. It will begin there, because if you can't see any pictures, you can't see any future. Does that make sense to you? You got to have the picture. You got to see the picture. How are you going to have that business you wish? You got to have a picture. How are you going to build that kind of service for God uh, unless you do that? How are you going to accomplish anything in life unless it begins somewhere in a dream in your imagination? Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. That means, you know what that means, the word perish? It means they're out of control. When you don't have an overarching vision for your life, life is out of control. So what's your dream for the next 10 years, folks? Take your key areas. Just just take a few key areas of your life. What's your dream? And if you say, oh, never really thought about it, then it's time to. We can only do the impossible if you see the invisible. You got some impossible things in front of you? Quit looking at the visible because that's only gonna reinforce the impossibility. So what do you look at? You look at the invisible. Is that not what Hebrews 11, one teaches us about faith? It's the evidence of things unseen? Einstein said this, He said imagination is more important than knowledge because he said what you imagine has no limit. Napoleon said imagination rules the world. They understood that without the power of the pictures in the heart that you've taken time to salt out as a Christian is at the end of this process because then your pictures are not just coming out of your own heart but out of a relationship with God that is developing through knowledge or being discipled. You are somebody that's moving forward in their discipling. I want to encourage you to dream great dreams for God. Be a Christian disciple in your homes, in your businesses. We need entrepreneurs. We need entrepreneurs economically. We need entrepreneurs when it comes to the the social works and fabrics of our society. We need entrepreneurs that are grabbing things because they got the picture from God, you see, and they know it, and they're willing to pay the price and walk it out and be discipled even through that. They're willing to dream great dreams for God. Why do we do this? Because we must outthink, outdream, outsmart the world. And why do we do this? For the glory of God we don't do it for our benefit we do it for the glory of God you build great things in your life and you believe for great things in your life and you keep the pictures that take you forward in faith in those things because you know in the end God will get the glory mental health why does the enemy want your mind so much? Very simple. If you can captivate your mind, you're going nowhere. So, the beginning of a process of healthy mind is beginning actually with God. If you want the last part of these notes, I guess you're going to have to be here on Wednesday. <laughs> but I do want to read this one scripture. Let's go back to that scripture, shall we? Rate right from, thank you. You see, just as I, let me finish with this. We've been talking about your mind and your thinking. But I want to finish with making clear God's thinking. See, God's thinking about you. Psalm 139, 17 to 18 says, How precious are thy thoughts unto me, O God. How great is the sum of them. If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with thee. Here's one of the most phenomenal things no matter where you're at in life right now no matter how bad your thinking is or how stinking thinking it is it doesn't matter where you're at right now I can tell you how God is thinking about you he's thinking about you constantly this scripture says they are precious thoughts also he's saying you have precious thoughts uh, to me and the sum of them they're going to number more than the sand Go stand on a beach, and you haven't even started with the sum or the number of thoughts that God has for you and upon you that are precious. You have no excuse for starting with God afresh each and every day, because every day, even while you are snoring, God is thinking precious thoughts of you. I don't know about you, but that for me is just like mind blowing. Because the enemy wants me to believe God doesn't think about me that way. That I'm not even on his radar screen. And if I ever was, it's because he's focusing on all of my gaps and faults. Not true. The scripture is the scripture. Pull down the strongholds that tear you down and start tearing down the strongholds that are against the things that God wants to put into your life. And you start believing what God says and you start building your life off of that and you're going to have a much stronger mind. You're going to have a health in your mind and, and we would call it mental health that is rooted in the greatness and goodness of God, the absolute truth of God. You are not the source of that. You are trusting what he says. Because in your heart, your voice will condemn you. It will hold you back. It will tear you down. It will beat you up. It will spit you out. You know it. It will take you back 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 80 years if it has to, to keep you back. But right now, God is thinking precious thoughts towards you. even while you sleep. Would you stand with me, please? Father, as we finish this up today, I just pray in Jesus' name that this would capture our minds so that we might take captive every thought and make it submit to Jesus. When it says Jesus loves us, In John 3.16, I believe it. I am going to tear down anything that competes with that. Lord, I pray in minds and hearts in this auditorium and out in digital world that there would be in hearts now an immediate change taking place towards becoming real learners. Learners. Disciples of his. Taking him and his truth and using that incredible thing to pull down all the strongholds that have held us back, beat us up. We look to you, Jesus, for the strength and the reinforcement for that. But today we declare, we are your disciples. Our minds can only really be what they're meant to be, as strong as they're meant to be when we accept the fact how much you really think about us and then start returning that privilege to you. In Christ's name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. Thank you for listening to our program. If you find this broadcast to be helpful, please let us know. You can call us at 780 539 0572 or email mail at peopleschurchgp.com.